Book Six, Part Three of Xenophon's Anabasis. This is a LibriVox recording. All LibriVox recordings are in the public domain. For more information or to volunteer, please visit LibriVox.org. Recording by B. G. Oxford. Anabasis by Xenophon. Translated by H. G. Dakins. Book Six, Part Three. Number Five. And so they spent the night, but with day dawn the generals led the way to the natural fastness, and the others picked up their arms and baggage and followed the lead. Before the breakfast hour arrived, they had fenced off with a ditch the only side on which lay ingress into the place, and had palisaded off the whole, leaving only three gates. Anon a ship from Heraclea arrived, bringing barley meal, victim animals, and wine. Xenophon was up betimes, and made the usual offering before starting on an expedition, and at the first victim the sacrifice was favorable. Just as the sacrifice ended, the seer, Arexion the Parhesian, caught sight of an eagle, which boded well, and bade Xenophon lead on. So they crossed the trench and grounded arms. Then, Proclamation was made by herald for the soldiers to breakfast and start on an expedition under arms. The mob of settlers and the captured slaves would be left in camp. Accordingly, the mass of troops set out. Neon alone remained, for it seemed best to leave that general and his men to guard the contents of the camp. But when the officers and soldiers had left them in the lurch, they were so ashamed to stop in camp while the rest marched out that they too set out, leaving only those above five and forty years of age. These then stayed, while the rest set out on the march. Before they had gone two miles, they stumbled upon dead bodies, and when they had brought up the rear of the column in a line, with the first bodies to be seen, they began digging graves and burying all included in the column from end to end. After burying the first batch, they advanced, and again, bringing the rear even with the first unburied bodies which appeared, they buried in the same way all which the line of troops included. Finally, reaching the road that led out of the villages where the bodies lay thick together, they collected them and laid them in a common grave. It was now about midday, when pushing forward the troops up to the villages without entering them, they proceeded to seize provisions, laying hands on everything they could set eyes on, under cover of their lines, when suddenly they caught sight of the enemy cresting certain hillocks in front of them, duly marshaled in line, a large body of cavalry and infantry. It was Spithridates and Rathinus, sent by Pharnabazus, with their forces at their backs. As soon as the enemy caught sight of the Hellens, they stood still, about two miles distant. Then Arexion, the seer, sacrificed, and at the first essay the victims were favorable. Whereupon Xenophon addressed the other generals, I would advise, sirs, that we should detach one or more flying columns to support our main attack, so that in case of need, at any point, we may have reserves in readiness to assist our main body, and the enemy, in the confusion of battle, may find himself attacking the unbroken lines of troops not hitherto engaged. These views approved themselves to all. 
Do you then, he said, lead on the vanguard straight at the enemy. Do not let us stand parleying here, now that we have caught sight of him and he of us. I will detach the hindmost companies in the way we have decided upon and follow you. After that they quietly advanced, and he, withdrawing the rear-rank companies in three brigades consisting of a couple of hundred men apiece, commissioned the first on the right to follow the main body at the distance of a hundred feet. Samolas, the Achaean, was in command of this brigade. The duty of the second, under the command of Pyrrhus, the Arcadian, was to follow in the center. The last was posted on the left, with Phrasius the Athenian in command. As they advanced, the vanguard reached a large and difficult woody glen, and halted, not knowing whether the obstacle needed to be crossed or not. They passed down the word for the generals and officers to come forward to the front. Xenophon, wondering what it was that stopped the march, and presently hearing the above order passed along the ranks, rode up with all speed. As soon as they were met, Sophonetus, as the eldest general, stated his opinion that the question whether a gully of that kind ought to be crossed or not was not worth discussing. Xenophon, with some ardor, retorted, You know, sirs, I have not been in the habit heretofore of introducing you to danger which you might avoid. It is not your reputation for courage, surely, that is at stake but your safe return home. But now the matter stands thus. It is impossible to retire from this point without a battle. If we do not advance against the enemy ourselves, he will follow us as soon as we have turned our backs and attack us. Consider then, is it better to go and meet the foe with arms advanced, or with arms reversed, to watch him as he assails us on our rear you know this, at any rate, that to retire before an enemy has nothing glorious about it, whereas attack engenders courage even in a coward. For my part, I would rather at any time attack with half my men than retreat with twice the number. As to these fellows, if we attack them, I am sure you do not really expect them to await us, though if we retreat, we know for certain they will be emboldened to pursue us. Nay, if the result of crossing is to place a difficult gully behind us when we are on the point of engaging, surely that is an advantage worth seizing. At least, if it were left to me, I would choose that everything should appear smooth and passable to the enemy, which may invite retreat. But for ourselves we may bless the ground which teaches us that except in victory we have no deliverance. It astonishes me that any one should deem this particular gully a whit more trouble than any of the other barriers which we have successfully passed. How impassable was the plain had we failed to conquer their cavalry? How insurmountable the mountains already traversed by us, with all their peltasts in hot pursuit at our heels? Nay, when we have safely reached the sea, the Pontus will present a somewhat formidable gully, when we have neither vessels to convey us away nor corn to keep us alive whilst we stop. But we shall no sooner be there than we must be off again to get provisions. Surely it is better to fight to-day after a good breakfast than to-morrow on an empty stomach. Sirs, the offerings are favorable to us. The omens are propitious. The victims more than promising. Let us attack the enemy. 
Now that they have had a good look at us, these fellows must not be allowed to enjoy their dinners or choose a camp at their own sweet will. After that, the officers bade him lead on. None gainsayed, and he led the way. His orders were to cross the gully, where each man chanced to find himself. By this method, as it seemed to him, the troops would more quickly mass themselves on the far side than was possible if they defiled along the bridge which spanned the gully. But once across, he passed along the line and addressed the troops. Sirs, call to mind what by help of the gods you have already done. Bethink you of the battles you have won at close quarters with the foe, of the fate which awaits those who flee before their foes. Forget not that we stand at the very doors of Hellas. Follow in the steps of Heracles, our guide, and cheer each the other onwards by name. Sweet were it surely by some brave and noble word or deed, spoken or done this day, to leave the memory of one's self in the hearts of those one loves. These words were spoken as he rode past, and simultaneously he began leading on the troops in battle line. And placing the peltasts on either flank of the main body, they moved against the enemy. Along the line the order had sped, to keep their spears at rest on the right shoulder until the bugle signal, then lower them for the charge, slow march, and even pace, no one to quicken into a run. Lastly, the watchword was passed, Zeus the Savior, Heracles our guide. The enemy waited their approach, confident in the excellence of his position. But as they drew closer, the Helen light troops, with a loud alala, without waiting for the order, dashed against the foe. The latter, on their side, came forward eagerly to meet the charge, both the cavalry and the mass of the Bithyans, and these turned the peltast. But when the counter-wave, the phalanx of the heavy infantry, rapidly advancing, faced them, and at the same time the bugle sounded, and the battle-hymn rose from all lips, and after this a loud cheer rose, and at the same instant they couched their spears. At this conjuncture the enemy no longer welcomed them, but fled. Timasian, with his cavalry, followed close, and considering their scant numbers, they did great execution. It was the left wing of the enemy, in a line with which the Helen cavalry were posted, that was so speedily scattered. But the right, which was not so hotly pursued, collected upon a knoll, and when the Helens saw them standing firm, it seemed the easiest and least dangerous course to go against them at once. Raising the battle hymn, they straightway fell upon them, but the others did not await their coming. Thereupon the peltasts gave chase until the right of the enemy was in its turn scattered, though with slight loss in killed, for the enemy's cavalry was numerous and threatening. But when the Helens saw the cavalry of Pharnabazus still standing in compact order, and the Bithyan horsemen massing together as if to join it, and like spectators gazing down from a knoll at the occurrences below, though weary, they determined to attack the enemy as best they could, and not suffer him to recover breath with reviving courage. So they formed in compact line and advanced. Thereupon the hostile cavalry turned and fled down the steep as swiftly as if they had been pursued by cavalry. 
in fact they sought the shelter of a gully the existence of which was unknown to the helens the latter accordingly turned aside too soon and gave up the chase for it was too late returning to the point where the first encounter took place they erected a trophy and went back to the sea about sunset it was something like seven miles to camp number six after this the enemy confined themselves to their own concerns and removed their households and property as far away as possible the helens on their side were still awaiting the arrival of cleander with the ships of war and transports which ought to be there soon so each day they went out with the baggage animals and slaves and fearlessly brought in wheat and barley wine and vegetables millet and figs since the district produced all good things the olive alone excepted when the army stayed in camp to rest pillaging parties were allowed to go out and those who went out appropriated the spoils but when the whole army went out if any one went off apart and seized anything it was voted to be public property ere long there was an ample abundance of supplies of all sorts for marketables arrived from hellenic cities on all sides and marts were established mariners coasting by hearing that a city was being founded and that there was a harbor were glad to put in even the hostile tribes dwelling in the neighborhood presently began to send envoys to xenophon it was he who was forming the place into a city as they understood and they would be glad to learn on what terms they might secure his friendship he made a point of introducing these visitors to his soldiers meanwhile cleander arrived with two ships of war but not a single transport at the moment of his arrival as it happened the army had taken the field and a separate party had gone off on a pillaging expedition into the hills and had captured a number of small cattle in their apprehension of being deprived of them these same people spoke to decipus this was the same man who had made off from trapezus with the fifty-oared galley and urged him to save their sheep for them take some for yourself said they and give the rest back to us so without more ado he drove off the soldiers standing near who kept repeating that the spoil was public property then off he went to cleander here is an attempt said he at robbery cleander bade him to bring up the culprit to him decipus seized on some one and was for hailing him to the spartan governor just then agassius came across him and rescued the man who was a member of his company and the rest of the soldiers present set to work to stone Decipus, calling him traitor. Things looked so ill that a number of the crew of the ships of war took fright and fled to the sea, and with the rest Cleander himself. Xenophon and the other generals tried to hold the men back, assuring Cleander that the affair signified nothing at all, and that the origin of it was a decree passed by the army that was to blame if anything but cleander goaded by decipus and personally annoyed at the fright which he had experienced threatened to sail away and publish an interdict against them forbidding any city to receive them as being public enemies for at this date the lacedaemonians held sway over the whole hellenic world thereat the affair began to wear an ugly look 
and the Helens begged and implored Cleander to reconsider his intention. He replied that he would be as good as his word, and that nothing should stop him, unless the man who set the example of stoning, with the other who rescued the prisoner, were given up to him. Now one of the two whose persons were thus demanded, Agassius, had been a friend to Xenophon throughout, and that was just why Tisippus was all the more anxious to accuse him. In their perplexity the generals summoned a full meeting of the soldiers, and some speakers were disposed to make very light of Cleander and set him at naught. But Xenophon took a more serious view of the matter. He rose and addressed the meeting thus. Soldiers, I cannot say that I feel disposed to make light of this business, if Cleander be allowed to go away, as he threatens to do, in his present temper toward us. There are Hellenic cities close by, but then the Lacedaemonians are the lords of Hellas, and they can, any one of them, carry out whatever they like in the cities. If, then, the first thing this Lacedaemonian does is to close the gates of Byzantium, and next to pass an order to the other governors, city by city, not to receive us because we are a set of lawless ruffians disloyal to the Lacedaemonians. And if, further, this report of us should reach the ears of their admiral, Anasibius, to stay or to sail away will alike be difficult. Remember, the Lacedaemonians at the present time are lords alike on land and on sea. For the sake, then, of a single man, or for two men's sake, it is not right that the rest of us should be debarred from Hellas. But whatever they enjoin we must obey. Do not the cities which gave us birth yield them obedience also? For my own part, inasmuch as Decippus, I believe, keeps telling Cleander that Agassius would never have done this had not I, Xenophon, bidden him, I absolve you of all complicity and Agassius too, if Agassius himself states that I am in any way a prime mover in this matter. If I have set the fashion of stone-throwing, or any other sort of violence, I condemn myself. I say that I deserve the extreme penalty, and I will submit to undergo it. I further say that if any one else is accused, that man is bound to surrender himself to Cleander for judgment. For by this means you will be absolved entirely from the accusation. But as the matter now stands, it is cruel that just when we are aspiring to win praise and honor throughout Hellas, we are destined to sink below the level of the rest of the world, banned from the Hellenic cities whose common name we boast. After him, Agassius got up and said, I swear to you, sirs, by the gods and goddesses, verily and indeed, neither Xenophon nor any one else among you bade me rescue the man. I saw an honest man, one of my own company, being taken up by Decippus, the man who betrayed you, as you know full well. That I could not endure. I rescued him. I admit the fact. Do not you deliver me up. I will surrender myself, as Xenophon suggests to Cleander to pass what verdict on me he thinks right. Do not, for the sake of such a matter, make foes of the Lacedaemonians. Rather, God grant that each of you may safely reach the goal of his desire. Only do you choose from among yourselves, and send with me to Cleander those who, in case of any omission on my part, 
may by their words and acts supply what is lacking. Thereupon the army granted him to choose for himself whom he would have go with him, and to go, and he at once chose the generals. After this they all set off to Cleander, Agassius and the generals, and the man who had been rescued by Agassius, and the generals spoke as follows. The army has sent us to you, Cleander, and this is their bidding. If you have fault to find with all, they say, you ought to pass sentence on all, and do with them what seems best. Or if the charge is against one man, or two, or possibly several, what they expect of these people is to surrender themselves to you for judgment. Accordingly, if you lay anything to the charge of us generals, here we stand at your bar. Or do you impute the fault to someone not here? Tell us whom. Short of flying in the face of our authority, there is no one who will absent himself. At this point, Agassius stepped forward and said, It was I, Cleander, who rescued the man before you yonder from Decipus, when the latter was carrying him off, and it was I who gave the order to strike Decipus. My plea is that I know the prisoner to be an honest man. As to Decipus, I know that he was chosen by the army to command a fifty-oared galley, which we had obtained by request from the men of Trapezus, for the express purpose of collecting vessels to carry us safely home. But this same Decipus betrayed his fellow-soldiers, with whom he had been delivered from so many perils, and made off into hiding like a runaway slave, whereby we have robbed the Trapezuntines of their frigate, and must needs appear as knaves in their eyes for this man's sake. As to ourselves, as far as he could, he has ruined us. For, like the rest of us, he had heard how all but impossible it was for us to retreat by foot across the rivers and to reach Hellas in safety. That is the stamp of man whom I robbed of his prey. Now, had it been you yourself who carried him off, or one of your emissaries, or indeed any one short of a runaway from ourselves, be sure that I should have acted far otherwise. Be assured that if you put me to death at this time, you are sacrificing a good, honest man for the sake of a coward and a scamp. When he had listened to these remarks, Cleander replied that if such had been the conduct of Decipus, he could not congratulate him. But still, he added, turning to the generals, were Decipus ever so great a scamp, he ought not to suffer violence. But in the language of your own demand, he was entitled to a fair trial, and so to obtain his deserts. What I have to say at present, therefore, is, leave your friend here, and go your way, and when I give the order, be present at the trial. I have no further charge against the army or anyone, since the prisoner himself admits that he rescued the man. Then the man, who had been rescued, said, In behalf of myself, Cleander, if you possibly think that I was being taken up for some misdeed, it is not so. I neither struck nor shot. I merely said, The sheep are public property. For it was a resolution of the soldiers that whenever the army went out as a body, any booty privately obtained was to be public property. That was all I said, and thereupon yonder fellow seized me and began dragging me off. He wanted to stop our mouths, 
so that he might have a share of the things himself, and keep the rest for these buccaneers, contrary to the ordinance. In answer to that, Cleander said, Very well, if that is your disposition, you can stay behind too, and we will take your case into consideration also. Thereupon, Cleander and his party proceeded to breakfast. But Xenophon collected the army in assembly, and advised their sending deputation to Cleander to intercede in behalf of the men. Accordingly, it was resolved to send some generals and officers, with Dracontius the Spartan, and of the rest those who seemed best fitted to go. The deputation was to request Cleander by all means to release the two men. Accordingly, Xenophon came and addressed him thus. Cleander, you have the men, the army has bowed to you, and assented to do what you wished, with respect to these two members of their body, and themselves in general. But now they beg and pray you to give up these two men, and not to put them to death. Many a good service have these two wrought for our army in past days. Let them but obtain this from you, and in return the army promises that if you will put yourself at their head, and the gracious gods approve, they will show you how orderly they are, how apt to obey their general, and, with heaven's help, to face their foes unflinchingly. They make this further request to you, that you will present yourself and take command of them and make trial of them. Test us ourselves, they say, and test Decipus, what each of us is like, and afterwards assign to each his due. When Cleander heard these things, he answered, Nay, by the twin gods, I will answer you quickly enough. Here I make you a present of the two men, and I will, as you say, present myself, and then, if the gods vouchsafe, I will put myself at your head and lead you into Hellas. Very different is your language from the tale I used to hear concerning you from certain people, that you wanted to withdraw the army from allegiance to the Lacedaemonians. After this the deputation thanked him, and retired, taking with them the two men. Then Cleander sacrificed as a preliminary to marching, and consorted friendlily with Xenophon, and the two struck up an alliance. When the Spartans saw with what good discipline the men carried out their orders, he was still more anxious to become their leader. However, in spite of sacrifices repeated on three successive days, the victims steadily remained unfavorable. So he summoned the generals and said to them, The victims smile not on me. They suffer me not to lead you home. But be not out of heart at that. To you it is given, as it would appear, to bring your men safe home. Forwards then, and for our part, whenever you come yonder, we will bestow on you as warm a welcome as we may. Then the soldiers resolved to make him a present of the public cattle, which he accepted, but again gave back to them. So he sailed away, but the soldiers made division of the corn which they had collected, and of the other captured property, and commenced their homeward march through the territory of the Bithyans. At first they confined themselves to the main road, but not chancing upon anything whereby they might reach a friendly territory with something in their pockets for themselves, they resolved to turn sharp round, and marched for one day and night in the opposite direction. By this proceeding they captured many slaves and much small cattle. 
and on the sixth day they reached Chrysopolis in Chalcedonia. Here they halted seven days while they disposed of their booty by sale. End of Book 6 Recording by B.G. Oxford